0: I was packed into this tiny room with probably what had to have been 80 other people and a chicken. I'd been studying in India for a few weeks, and one of the other seminary students from Chennai had invited me to his birthday party. Now, our study group from the seminary from the United States met each evening for prayer, and we'd kind of check in with each other. And the party was going to be at the same time as our nightly check-in. So I checked with my professor to be sure that it was okay if I went to the party. She was really pleased that I'd even been invited. She said, wow, definitely go. We'll muddle on without you. So I did. 80 of us packed into this little, stuffy room, and that chicken. It's the only party I've ever been to where we butchered a chicken. It was a great night, not for the chicken. I don't even know how to put it exactly, but that night, I felt this sense of kinship. Even though I kind of stood out, I knew that, I was a very pale, kind of biggish American, but that night, we were brothers and sisters. It was an amazing feeling. This summer, we are considering all of these, these titles, these labels that were been given to Jesus. And Jesus was many things to many people. He was a friend, a teacher, a savior, and Lord. Lord is probably one of the toughest to talk about. It's confusing. Partially because of how we use the word in the Bible. Now, if you see L-O-R-D in all capitals, that is only going to be found in the Hebrew scriptures because it's a gloss, both in print and and spoken. It's a gloss for the holy name of God. that, That name that was given to Moses And it was considered so holy that instead of speaking or writing it, you put in a gloss, which in English is usually Lord, capital L-O-R-D. But then later in the Christian scriptures, the Greek word Kyrios, from which you might recognize the phrase Kyrieleson, this word also means Lord. But usually Lord as in king or emperor. And Jews in Jesus' day, who might be speaking Greek, would also use that same word, Kyrios, for God. In fact, if you look back, one of the earliest records that we have today of the existence of Christianity that comes from outside of the Bible comes from a letter written to the Roman emperor Trajan, who would have been considered at that time to be both God and an emperor, in a letter sent to him by a regional governor named Pliny. Pliny was confused by the use of the word Lord in regard to Jesus. Pliny was concerned that this new offshoot of Judaism, calling itself Christianity, might actually be an insurgent threat to the empire because after torturing two poor church women who were church leaders, These two women kept insisting that Jesus is Lord. And Pliny thought that perhaps they thought that Jesus was Lord and Caesar was not. And that was treason. And actually that's probably exactly what those two women thought. Claiming Jesus as Lord was a very political statement. Their allegiance was first to Jesus. Not to their kingdom, not to the empire, and not to the emperor. They, along with the apostle Paul and many others, were pledging their allegiance, not to any flag or person, but to Jesus first. Stuff like that gets you into a lot of trouble. A lot of people died claiming that Jesus was their Lord and not the emperor. Until that day came centuries later when an emperor figured out that if you can't beat him, join him. And the empire became Christian. Kind of. Maybe. Jesus then would rule in heaven and his vicar, his, his guys on earth, Emperors and eventually popes would represent him here on earth. Christ's church was tamed. But something began to happen.
1: Jesus was remembered to have said to One, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me will save them. What advantage do people have if they gain the whole world for themselves, yet perish or lose their lives? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the human one will be ashamed of that person when he comes in his glory and in the glory of God and the holy angels. I assure you that some standing here won't die before they see God's kingdom. People began to remember.
0: Some began to realize that the churches had ignored this call to be willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. That the churches had accommodated to the empires of this world People like Archbishop Oscar Romero in El Salvador, they began to proclaim the church would betray its own love for God and its own fidelity to the gospel if it stopped being a defender of the rights of the poor, a humanizer of every legitimate struggle to achieve a more just society that prepares the way for the true reign of God in history. If church communities do not defend the dignity of the poor, they have failed in their duty to take up the cross of the Lord Jesus. That the true reign of God had absolutely had in their minds to work for justice and dignity for the poor and the oppressed in every place. Saying stuff like that, that gets you into trouble. And after 1,500 years of accommodation to the empires of this world, some church leaders, they came back by quoting this scripture.
1: Every person should place themselves under the authority of the government. There isn't any authority unless it comes from God, and the authorities that are there have been put in place by God. So anyone who opposes the authority is standing against what God has established. People who take this kind of stand will get punished. Any time a politician
0: speaks those words to Christians. And I don't care what nation or what party, those politicians are trying to play you. I challenge you to find an example where this isn't true. There is a story about Jesus being tempted
1: by the devil. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in a single instant all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said, I will give you this whole domain and the glory of all these kingdoms. It's been entrusted to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. Therefore, if you will worship me, it will all be yours.
0: It's the temptation of power. Even when that power isn't actually yours to give. Power is where you believe that it is. Jesus said no to the false political promise, but not saying no to retreat back into some spiritual zone. Instead, after those temptation, he boldly declares, now is the time. Here comes the God's kingdom. Change your hearts and your lives and trust this good news. Jesus as Lord proclaims God's resurrecting spirit is in you. You are God's hands and God's feet in the world. You, you are caretakers, stewards, trustees of this world. So, so claim your authority, your power to build a better world. This could be what it means to proclaim Jesus as Lord. People are starting to remember that. And they're beginning to push back, to take power and to claim it for themselves, to make empires bow. Nope. Jesus as Lord doesn't replace Caesar as if they're in some sort of eternal power struggle because Jesus' kingdom is different. It isn't about seizing political power and forcing the opposition to bow. It's not what it's about. The kingdom of God is. It's young women cleverly using the resources that they had to provide for blankets and cold weather gear for poor people in the wider community. The kingdom of God is a young man who gets on his hands and his knees and he scrubs the floor of a stranger's home to get a pretty dingy place ready to receive a new baby. The kingdom of God is pulling our money together to purchase a van, to get homeless people to safety, and build homes. This isn't about replacing one system of power with another. It is recognizing our kinship, our solidarity, our common purpose in this world. Jesus as Lord calls us to step out of our boxes and to be church. It is throwing the doors wide open to offer the the blessings of this space, this building that we colonial church have that's entrusted to us. And this very evening, dozens of young men who are facing their addictions, they're going to be crowding into our church, something that happens every Sunday evening. Years ago, at that birthday party, with people who lived on about $2 a day, who together only had enough to afford one chicken and a whole lot of rice to celebrate a birthday. With those people, I felt a sense of kinship, of brother and sisterhood. And two days later, I got on a train and never saw most of them again. And I flew back around the world to my home, which isn't huge, but my home was far larger than the space where the 80 of us ate. The kingdom of God isn't here yet, but it is coming. And we get glimpses of what it could be, though. And we work for it. Each day we make choices about whom and what we serve. And if we dare to claim that Jesus is Lord, that that confession should shape much of the choices that we make. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, what does it mean for us to call you Lord? How do you call me? How do you call us to serve you today, to serve you tomorrow? Break me out of my box. Help me see those who are oppressed and poor and give wisdom to our leaders to help organize us to make a difference that builds a sense of dignity and common purpose for all people. Lord Jesus, remind your church who and whose we are. Amen.